0: Making change can feel challenging. After all, we are creatures of habit and we all know that it takes time, commitment, and lots of repetitions in order to make changes in our routines that will stick. So today, my guest shares how we can use feedback and the method of tiny habits to build larger changes in order to live our best lives and realize our dreams. And here's the thing we cannot do this alone. This work only works within community. So if you're listening, it is time that you join the Facebook group Empowered Educator Faculty Room, because if you enjoy this podcast, you will love the Facebook group where you'll get live workshops with me, giveaways, insights, and where we can celebrate you throughout your Empowered journey. You belong here in the Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner. And I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So. Take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Take Notes. I am here with the fabulous Julie DeLuca Collins, who is the founder and CEO of Go Confidently Services, the host of the popular Casa de Confidence podcast and her weekly radio show, Confident You, featured on a global talk radio network. As a business and life strategist coach, Julie helps women business owners launch or grow their businesses, get clients, be productive, and achieve their dreams. Julie helps her clients create simple habits to achieve goals and change their lives. And she is also the number one bestselling author of the book, Confident You. And Julie is a sought after public speaker, a trainer and course creator and is a certified coach in cognitive behavioral techniques, holistic coach and tiny habits, which we're going to be talking a lot about today. And she is also a certified social emotional learning facilitator and has completed her 200 hour yoga teacher certification. Julie, I am so glad that you are here today to talk with us on Take Notes. I am excited to be here, Jen.
1: I loved having you on my show. I loved having you as part of my universe. And I can't wait to talk and dive deep into everything, all the things.
0: (laughs) All the things. Yeah, let's start. I would love to know more about how you got here. I mean, I am familiar a little bit with your journey. I know we overlap in our fields of education, (laughs) but I would love for you to tell our listeners, how did you get from where you were to where you are now?
1: Yeah. So for the listeners, I started as a humble pre-K teacher in a preschool. In I always knew I was going to be a teacher. Honestly, I was the future educators of America in high school. And I came from a family of educators and I loved it. I loved working in schools with kids. And I started to really burn out really quickly. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I hated the hours. I hated the pressure, the lesson planning, and I just felt like there had to be something more, but I wasn't sure what that meant. And I was offered a job at my church to oversee the religious education for middle school students. And I had volunteered, and I thought, well, I'm not certified as a teacher for middle school. And as a young 20, let me think how old I was, I was 23 years old, 24 I took over the religious education program for a church that had over 600 middle school and high school students. And I had to do all of, talk about not lesson planning, but I had to do all of the programming for the year, for the year's curriculum and align everything to the confirmation, to the confirmation curriculum and I loved it. I loved working with students and certainly I didn't know that I was not going to be doing that forever. I just knew, again, I burned myself out really quickly. Four years in and I was burnt out. And at that point, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I went to work for retail because I thought I need to make money, right? And eventually in New York, I was recruited to do some grant writing. I had done that in college. My dad worked for an agency in D.C. that did a lot of grant work for the government. And I had that experience. And then I was recruited by an educational company, an educational company in New Jersey that is a nationwide company. Many people know them. I was recruited because my teaching experience, my ability to supervise, my ability to be able to create programming, meet with parents, but also my retail experience. I thought, well, this is interesting. And sure enough, I loved what I was doing because now I saw that I was really making an impact on the lives of students who were struggling in school, the families that we were working with. But more importantly, I could also create great support for teachers in which Many of them, again, the teachers that came in to work and to tutor students were the ones who needed that part-time job and needed to be able to support themselves. But I thought, can we make this easy and fun? And of course, I started working with this company. I was the center director for one of their centers. And after the first year, we went to a convention for all the center directors. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of centers that are very successful, that are making a lot of money, then I went to the head of the company, one of the founders, and I said, how do I get on that stage? Because to me, yes, it was about the center being successful because of the revenue, but what I was seeing is the number of lives that were being touched. I said, how can I get in that stage next year? And she said, I'm going to tell you the secret. You need to go and connect with your local school, do school visits, get to know them, get to know what their struggles are and find out from them how you can serve them. And that's exactly what I did. It got to the point in which teachers or guidance counselors or principals would have parents in their office and say, oh, let me call Julie and I'm gonna send you to Julie and she's gonna help you. And that's really how it started to happen It to the point that the following year, I was one of the top producing centers in revenue, but also in the keep rate of students that were staying for the programming. And I loved it. And then I got promoted and that sort of got me into the start of a corporate career in the education industry. Over the course of the year, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time for the organization. I represented the company in Capitol Hill at the beginning of No Child Left Behind. And went through all of that, learned a lot in the company as far as What does it take to be able to work with school districts, how to partner with them, how to be able to most of all provide services? But for me, I always came at it not only from the business perspective, which I learned and and the company was very good at mentoring all of the executives on, but I really came to it from the teacher perspective. Once a teacher, always a teacher. And I always understood the struggles that teachers have when you're in that seat. So that was one of the things that continued to help me Grow and become successful. By the time I left that company, I was at the VP level and I went to work for another company again at the VP level, helping them expand out of New York City into several different markets. And I was there until the beginning of the pandemic. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I got a call. And it's funny because I sort of should have known, but I didn't know. We were hit very hard. The company, with all the schools shutting down, we couldn't really continue to do services at the school district level. And I got the call saying, we need to separate. You're, you're an executive. We cannot afford to keep half of our executives. And I thought, nope, absolutely. It makes 100% sense. And I had already been doing some work on my own. I went through a coaching certification for holistic coaching, mainly because for myself, I also had been working at several colleges and universities here as a volunteer in a leadership mentoring program that we had, and is still going strong. So certainly I knew that I wanted to be more in the space of mentoring and coaching individuals, being able to provide them with a support system that they needed. And that's how I got here. So three years in, almost three years in, I have great business, but most importantly, I am helping women really grow and launch their dream, their business, whatever it is that it might be. Because when I was in corporate, everybody would say, oh my God, you're going get another promotion. You're so good. You're so confident. And I would say, mm, no, not really. I don't always have it together. And I wanted people to know and normalize for others that it's not about being perfect. It's not about having it together. It's not about everything that you're doing. But it's about the showing up even when you don't feel like it. It's about surrounding yourself with the right resources, the right support, and also being willing to be in that level of discomfort just for a little bit, because then that's when really you start to grow and you really start to, again, assess yourself and say, oh, how can I do that better? Or just like we do with our kids, right? That feedback model is so important. And giving that feedback model for ourselves is key. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I love it. I love the opportunity to be able to serve others who have a dream in their heart for whatever it might be, but don't have the know-how when it comes to business, the nitty gritty of business. Don't have the confidence. And I can share my confidence with them until they start to see their own gifts and start to see how they can start to grow only if they take that chance in themselves. So small answer, long answer, but that's it, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And, you know, I think the thing that struck me is at the end, you said, how do we show up and do the things that make us uncomfortable? Because that's truly where your dreams are. It's going to be uncomfortable because they're not here yet. (laughs) So we go for something that we don't have evidence of being safe. It, It is going to feel uncomfortable. And I think there is this idea, especially now with social media, right? We all Mm -hmm. tend to posture as having it together and Mm -hmm. we posture as, as having a certain kind of a lifestyle. And some of that, I think, is this idea that everyone has it all together all the time. And everyone is feeling Mm -hmm. that confidence all of the time. And it's that confidence that what drives you. But I think that does a disservice because it creates this idea of imposter syndrome, which is like kind of a false thing in my mind, but we could talk about that another time. (laughs) But, you know, this whole idea of, well, I could do that only if I had the confidence. But the (laughs) truth is, keeping it together is a lie. That is not actually a thing. And so I'm curious to know, and I'm, I'm wondering if your training in tiny habits mm-hmm. has kind of led you in the direction of also realizing that we don't have to be born having it all together and fig- to figure it all out that this is oh. a constant process.
1: Absolutely, it is a constant process and and I will tell you that you talked about and you shared the different certifications that I have and this is the one thing that I want to leave the audience with if there's one thing that you can really take away from that. There might be a lot of certifications under my belt, but I got them mainly for me, mainly to create the growth for myself because I am my best client. I am the person who needed to learn the tiny habits, how to use that cognitive behavioral techniques. I needed to be able to know how to process and question my mindset. We are all programmed with thought errors in our world typically is teaching us to beat ourselves up for the judgment that we do of ourselves. We are always so prone to think that we're broken, but the reality is that we're not, we're not. And all it takes is doing the work. When I started Tiny Habits specifically, that's one of the things that it's the secret, right, to me becoming more confident because yes, I don't always have it together. I don't always feel confident, but I am an extrovert. I am your typical firstborn leader in my family. So I do have a level of confidence. And when I create evidence that, hey, I did that, then it gives me the ability to keep programming myself to continue to do it and become an automation, as opposed to not seeing the evidence that I did it and then beating myself up for not doing it. I'll give you an example. Pre-pandemic I was doing great when it came to my physical health and I was going to the gym. And of course, like many of us, that train sailed for me. I stopped going to the gym. I have an autoimmune. I couldn't do it. And of course, I'm not in the best shape or in the shape that I would like to be. And as I started to reevaluate my health, what are my priorities? What are my values when it comes to my health? I realized that I do want to be fit, not so much for a number in the scale, but just I want to be strong and fit as I grow older. But the thought of getting on the treadmill like I would do before and maybe run for 20 minutes or even do weights or as a yoga teacher, certified yoga teacher, do a whole hour of yoga, the motivation is not there. And this is what tiny habits is about, right? When we think we need to go big or go home, we're going to fail because when your motivation, when things get hard, when it becomes very difficult and challenging, then you're going to like, I don't feel like doing that. That's so much, right? Whereas if you give yourself the ability to one, create the tiny habit and you pair it up with something that you're already doing, right? So for instance, for me, my new tiny habit so that I can work myself up is I am coming into my office. And I can do it every day. I'm already doing that. And then I'm going to check my email. I'm already doing that. But I take my laptop from my desk and I go over there to the treadmill. And all I'm going to do is check my email for two minutes and walk on the treadmill for two minutes. Right? So that's a little tiny habit. And and you're like, oh my God, two minutes on the treadmill. Yeah. Because guess what? I'm going to celebrate that I did the two minutes. That's all I was setting up to do. If I'm going to do more than two minutes, yay for me, but I'm always going to yay me for doing the two minutes. So then my brain is like, oh, this is just automatic. What do we do? And then you continue to create that evidence that you do the work, that you're successful, that you can do it. And for many of us, that's where we struggle. We haven't seen ourselves do the thing. We haven't continually celebrated that even if we did it, right, we're in that gap thinking that we did it, but we're like, oh, but I didn't do it enough. Stop doing that. We need to really focus on I did it and look how well I did it for the two minutes. Right. And right. you're never setting up yourself for failure if you're taking small, manageable chunks that way.
0: That's such a beautiful way of looking at it, because I think, again, people look at other people and we fall into this comparison trap, which nobody wins in that comparison trap. You know, that is just the thief of joy. Right. That's how that saying goes to yeah. is is the thief of joy, because you're looking at someone else's stuff. And only seeing what they're presenting and only (laughs) really one angle of it. And I think people even look at my journey and they're like, oh, you went from being unemployed, staying at home, homeschooling your kids, not knowing what you're going to do to giving a TED talk. Okay, well, it's really easy for you to see those two things. But truthfully, if you were to use a microscope, there were thousands of (laughs) microscopic choices that I had to make along the way. And if I wasn't able to make those choices and celebrate those wins, Mm -hmm. there's no way that I would be able to get to where I am today. So it's this idea, like you said, of go big and or go home isn't really serving us. It's actually setting ourselves up for failure.
1: Yeah, 100%. And by the way, the thing that we don't realize is that expert level requires 10,000 hours or more of practice. And this is the thing that we think that In between you being a stay-at-home mom homeschooling and where you are now, you have been putting in your hours. You've been struggling through the things that you didn't know, but you figure them out. Why? Because you kept showing up. And my favorite saying that I tell people all the time, and it really needs to go on a t-shirt, is consistent action gets you traction.
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: consistency of showing up, even when we don't feel like it. But if you make it tiny, it's easy to show up. Because you're not like my water. I drink water because my action is not that I'm going to drink a gallon of water daily. My action is I'm going to let my dogs out, existing action, and I'm going to pair it up with my new habit or my habit of I'm going to fill my water bottle and then I'm going to cheer myself on for getting my water bottle filled. And then when I start to drink it. Every time I go to the bathroom, I celebrate, like, yay, went to the bathroom and I refill my water, right? Yes. And I keep drinking and it creates this momentum. And the days that I drink all my water, great. On the days that I don't, I never failed.
0: Right. But right. I
1: can go back and say, oh, how come I didn't drink my water today? Let's be curious about that. Because that curiosity is the curiosity that allows you to course correct.
0: Yes. And it's creating that positive feedback loop for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're wired for negative feedback loops. That's just how our brain is working. So we have to work extra hard to create a positive feedback loop. And before I go into asking you about like, how can we practically apply this to everyday lives as teachers? I want to ask you about showing up. You are saying, well, you got to show up. And I think part of the issue for some people is how do you know what to show up for? Mm. And I think especially in a service profession where, you know, I've said this a million times, we are indoctrinated (laughs) to think about our profession as it only being about the kids. And when we do that, we ignore ourselves and we Mm -hmm. don't give ourselves enough worth to even Create any sort of idea that, that we need to do anything for ourselves. It, it doesn't, right. we're not worthy of it because it's really all about the kids. So when we say we have to keep showing up, I want to just highlight this for a minute because this is really about showing up for yourself. And yeah. in turn, you show up for the people that you serve, particularly the students and in then in the communities that we're all a part of. But what is that process like for you? How did you know what to show up for? What did it mean to show up for you?
1: You know, one of the things that, and it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mom, whether you're a business owner, a wife, a friend, a daughter, we are programmed to define ourselves by the role that the world gives us. And it's difficult to show up for ourselves when we don't even know that we have to show up for ourselves. Many of my friends are still teachers and I have a friend in particular who has been struggling with a lot of anxiety this year, debilitating anxiety. But she's putting the needs of her students, the needs of the school, the demands of the school, the needs of her husband, her kids, always her friends, me as a friend, always first. And that's why you're not showing up for yourself because she's never learned to create like I am not Jane. I mean, I am not Jane the teacher. I am Jane. Jane who has anxiety. What does Jane need? Mm -hmm. What is going on? And and when we start to really analyze, and this happened to me, I think that when I started to say, well, what does Julie need? Forget Julie being defined as, right? My last role was in the C-level of the company, and there was a level in in which I still Define myself by the role, but we have to separate ourselves from the roles so that we can clearly see hey, the teacher needs to give, the mom needs to mother, the wife needs to wife. But if I am a woman who is feeling tired and anxious, then what do I need to give to that person? What does that person need? Because we can identify everybody else's needs so quickly, and we do it under the hat of the role that we are wearing. But if we take that hat off and really focus on, wow, you know what? I need rest. It happened to me yesterday and I had a big event Saturday, as you know. And Friday, I, high achiever, wanted to have everything perfect and didn't sleep very well. Then, of course, I, we went to dinner later on. So Sunday, I said, I'm not doing anything except sleeping, reading, sleeping and having a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just recharge. But sometimes we forget to do that.
0: Yeah. You know, as you're as you're saying all of these things, it reminds me of this just very interesting time in my life after the divorce and before I, where I am now, I was dating for a little while. <laughs> and what was so interesting about that for me was I was just Jen, that mm. the people that I would go out with didn't know me from anybody. I wasn't Jen, the teacher. I wasn't Jen, the mom. I wasn't Jen who had this background, who was from this place, Mm -hmm. who, you know, and I could just be who I was. And it really, (laughs) it wasn't, that was, first of all, I think my favorite part about that experience, because, you know, sometimes dating could be a little bit wonky and weird. But for me, I loved it because I felt as if I was being reflected by somebody else in Mm -hmm. a way that I wasn't used to because I was so connected to my identities. And I'm so glad you said this in a different way because I haven't been able to really articulate it the way that you just did so well besides sharing my dating stories, which (laughs) we won't get into in this podcast. (laughs) But that is something that is so important. And if you are able to find a way to really go inside and remove all of the hats that we've not only chosen, but then have also been given to us... Mm -hmm and really sit and ask yourself with a mirror for yourself, who am I? What do I need? Uh, That really will allow you to go in the direction of, well, where do I now need to show up?
1: Yeah. The other thing too, you know, as you're speaking, and this is something that when I would go into schools and I I would train administrators or, or teachers on social emotional learning skills, right? Many of them had the thought that I was there to teach them curriculum that they can go in turn, teach their students. But what I was really there to teach is a practice because the most effective teachers are the ones who embody the work. Mm -hmm. It's not the ones who are reading from the prompt or the curriculum. And if you are not embodying the work, then you're not modeling the behavior. Yes. and At the end of the day, it's what happens in our life. We have to embody. And really, this is the other thing that I love about tiny habits. Tiny habits allows you to do what you already want to do. The desire that you have is there. You just don't know the way to get there. But it allows you to create the identity. So for instance, for me, getting on the treadmill for two minutes is not that I am going to work out. It's becoming that person, that 2.0 version of me. And this is where if we start to practice, then we are becoming that person.
0: Yes. So can you walk us through an example that might be relevant to someone who's teaching right now? You know, I I really want to be able to Have more me time. That's something that I I hear a lot is, you know, I'm so stressed. I'm giving all of my time and energy and attention to everybody else. And they're just like craving me time. And a big part of that is I'm afraid to let anything go because if I don't pick this (laughs) up, who's going to do this? So this is a very common scenario. Can you speak towards this about how can we use this practice of tiny habits to maybe move the needle forward? Yeah. So I'm going
1: to teach you the framework. So Dr. Fogg, who is the founder of the Behavior Lab at Stanford, who wrote the book, Tiny Habits, and that's who I got certified through. One of the things that he has found in all his years of research is that in order for you to create a behavior, there's three things that need to be present. The motivation, the ability, and a prompt. So for the person that says, hey, I'm really stressed. I want to get more me time, right? That's the behavior that you want. You will One, obviously, you need to have the motivation, which we talk about. It's not always present, right? If something is very hard, specifically, you're not going to be motivated to do it. And if you haven't been doing it, your brain is going to say, oh, my God, it's so hard. You're never going to get time. You're going to have to figure it out. Right. So you can't rely on motivation. So then that means that you have to find the ability to do it and a prompt to do it. The first thing that I will say is look at your behavior already. Look at the things that you're already doing. So take, for instance, my habit of wanting to drink water, right? Or wanting to be the person that's hydrated, right? If I said, I'm going to drink that gallon of water, of course, motivation goes away because like, oh my God, it's so hard. When am I going to drink that water? But I had to find the ability. So when am I going to be able to, right, break it down into the smallest piece? It, it, I need to have the water bottle filled. What am I going to do it, right? And I needed to be able to find the opportunity to fill my water bottle. So yes, I need to come to the kitchen. There's so many times, especially in my house, you have to go through the kitchen to come in, go out, come into the office, et cetera. But I needed to have existing behavior that was already automated, something that I was already doing daily that I did. One of the behaviors is I let my dogs out every morning because if I don't, I'm in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that's always going to happen. So if I put the water bottle next to, in my, I'm lucky enough, again, my back door is in in the kitchen and it's right next to the sink. So at night I leave my water bottle there. So when I let the dogs out, immediately I let them out. I turn around, I fill the water bottle. So you have to have the ability to do it. So let's say someone that wants to have time for themselves. So maybe you're coming off from a teaching and you're coming into your house And the first thing that you typically do is you go into the kitchen and open the pantry, right? To grab a snack. So maybe what you're gonna do, you already have that automation. Then maybe you do grab a snack. Maybe you grab a healthy snack. Whatever automation you have, as I come in the door and put my keys, my purse down, then I will go put my purse down in the chair and sit for two minutes and listen to a meditation or just read a page in a book. Or just write something that I was grateful for for the day at school. One thing that stood out that I'm really grateful for, just little things like that. And then it's not hard. It's not going to take you that long. It's already something that you do. Right. So maybe you're sitting in your kitchen and you're having the, the your after school snack. Then write down a sentence of something that and really think about what's going on. Do it for three minutes, less than two, maybe. And get started with that. And here's the key to the tiny habits framework in the process. After I, right, you have your prompt. When I do this, I will do this. And the last part is I will celebrate. So as soon as you write your sentence, as soon as you do the thing, you're like, celebrate. Oh, go me. Good job, Julie. Or I give myself a thumb up. Sometimes I do my little dance that I filled my water bottle or I was on the treadmill or whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Those things are the things that keep you going. I'm starting a new tiny habit is every time I cook, I am adding vegetables more than just a side dish, but into the main dish. So every time I add the vegetables to whatever I'm cooking, I give myself a thumbs up. And guess what? We're eating a lot more vegetables now than we were a couple months ago. So that's the key to really being able to automate behavior is finding the moment to to be able to do it, finding the automated behavior, the prompt, and then adding the behavior to it and celebrating it.
0: And I want to talk about that celebrating thing for a moment, because this is something I talk a lot about, too, with my work. And it is massively uncomfortable for so many people to celebrate, because this is something Mm -hmm. else that has just been in the air that we breathe, that we don't want to boast We don't want to be too big. We don't want to be too loud. We don't want to toot our own horns because humility is more important. And I think that that's crap. I think that that is another incredible disservice because even just at the biological level, we need to create evidence that what you're doing and changing is not just now comfortable when it used to be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but it's something that you enjoy and you need to be able to release all of those beautiful neurochemicals in your body that's going to make you feel good, that it's again going to create some sort of craving that you're going to do it again. So it's not Mm -hmm. about necessarily only being boastful and showing off, which, by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with either of those things I do not at all. Another conversation, I think, but like even just on a very basic you know, neuroscience level, we mm-hmm. need to create opportunities mm-hmm. that feel good when we're moving through something that makes us uncomfortable. So yay you all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I
1: love to say, and, and I talked about it on Saturday at the CEO retreat is if you don't toot your own horn, nobody typically will. So take action, toot your own horn, say go me!" And by the way, celebrations, we make such a big deal about the celebrations. Oh my God, I don't want to do that. I coach the Tiny Habits program almost on a weekly basis, anywhere between 10 to 15 people that I coach through. And that is probably one of the things that no matter what career, what walk of life you have, people struggle with. So we've actually put together a list of 101 ways to celebrate yourself. And they're so easy to do that, honestly, you could just think of yourself, you know, when you get at that email that tells you like, oh, you're in or this happened. And you're like, oh, yay. Replicate that. Replicate that as you're doing your action. Oh, look at me. I did that. Good job. Or, oh, I made the shot when I threw that paper in the wastebasket, right? Yeah. That feeling. That's what you want to replicate because that's going to make you feel good and your brain's going to, I want more of that. So therefore right. you're going to keep doing the thing.
0: Yes. It's the dopamine ding. And mm-hmm. it's a different kind of dopamine ding that you get from scrolling on Facebook or scrolling right. on Instagram. That's cheap dopamine, this that's is right. the, which ends up being a lot more expensive in the long run. But In the way. long run, absolutely. It can't <laughs> so, yes. so happen to all of us. But that's yes. right. Yes. And so this is the really good kind of dopamine that you get to create for yourself because you're right, Julie, no one's going to give you a yay me for or sit in your butt on the chair after work for a minute. The Mm -hmm. only one that's going to do that is you. And here's another beautiful opportunity for you to take complete personal responsibility for the way you are navigating through your life. Because even just doing something like this, it's so easy to, Mm -hmm. again, say, like you said, there's not enough time. I can never do it. Everyone else is putting all these pressures on me. Well, here's a beautiful spot for you to say, nope, I'm going to be sitting down for one minute and I'm going to celebrate myself. Thank you very much. I know.
1: And honestly, the people that are going to benefit are the people that you are trying to give to from an empty cup. Yes. That's the bottom line. Yes. We hear it all the time. Put your mask on first. Oh, you can't pour from an empty cup. But we really don't hear it Mm -hmm. and we really don't practice it. And that's what creates that momentum in the direction we don't want to go. Right. I think about there's two things that could happen, right? You can have a snowball effect in which there's a snowball that's coming down the hill and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes an avalanche and it creates destruction. Or you can come down the hill with the momentum of what you're building and really beautifully, if you ski, right, you can ski or snowboard down the hill and have just this exhilarating experience and fun that you're like, oh, look at me. And you really enjoy the outdoors and the time that you're outside. So there's two different experiences, but choose it. And and every day that we don't choose to be proactive or intentional, then we're choosing the avalanche.
0: Yes, it is always a choice. We we forget that. We don't realize that, that it is always a choice. Because even when you show up the way you've always been showing up, that is also something that you are actively choosing. Yeah.
1: For sure. And that's the one thing that I hope your listeners walk away. And by the way, if you're walking away feeling guilty that you're not doing it, you're not hearing us. Because the guilt and the shame, when you're in that state of feeling bad about what you did, the ability to actually change is harder and it goes away.
0: That's right. And feeling shame and guilt is actually also a choice. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you find yourself getting stuck in that, reach out to me or Julie. We'll get you right back into shape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just need two minutes for that. Give us two minutes. We'll you'll be absolutely.
1: Good. <laughs> we, and we sabotage ourselves so much. Jen, did you do the positive intelligence course?
0: I didn't. So what is that? You, oh
1: my gosh, you really, you really should. I think they're starting a new cohort. So sure, sad. Charmaine, he used to be CEO for the ICF, International Federation of Coaches, or anyway, so he wrote a book called Positive Intelligence, and he created a course for coaches, and he's actually given a $1 million grant for coaches to go through a six-week certification program on mental fitness. I think he's starting a new cohort, and it's free. It's a $1,000 worth of course. I'll find the information and send it to you.
0: Oh, that'd be great. It's it's phenomenal.
1: It really is phenomenal. And and one of the things that we learn through that is that you have um, an inner judge and our judge, everybody has a judge, but our judge obviously varies from person to person based on your experiences, how you grew up and that internal voice differs. However, we have these cast of characters that are supporting actors to the judge and they're the saboteurs. And depending on who you are, you may have different saboteurs. My saboteurs tend to be the controlling saboteur, the high achieving saboteur, the one that says, oh, it's not perfect. You can't do it. <laughs> right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other saboteur that really trips me up is my restless saboteur. The one that says, oh, my God, it's going to take too long. Go to the next thing. Go to the next shiny object. But some people, and this is the other thing that people struggle with, some of the other saboteurs that really trip them up are the people pleaser saboteur. Yes. The one or or the one that is hyper controlling or hyper feeling lost. Anyway, that's actually not the name of the saboteur. I'm really getting lost myself. But no, yeah. but, uh, so but you're right. There's 10 different ones and mm-hmm. that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. And really knowing this about yourself, the more that we can do the introspective work and hold up a mirror to ourselves. Again, the better we are going to show up Mm -hmm. for all of the people around us that we really want to show up for, especially our students, and make the impact that we said that we wanted to make in the first place. So, Julia, this has been wonderful. And now I need to ask the question I ask everybody is, you know, what is your dream for the future of education?
1: I love this question so much. You know, one of the things that I believe in education is that education is not just about what happens in the classroom. Education is about The experiences and the relationships that we can forge outside of the classroom and create communities where it's not about you're going to school to get a skill that will get you money. It's about the evolution of knowing that the classroom can be everywhere and anywhere. And that it's really time for us to also start seeing education and practicing education in new innovative ways. As opposed to, and I know it's controversial to say this, but an antiquated system that doesn't fit in modern society and the way that students learn. So my vision is that we understand that we're all different. We understand that not everybody can show up in the same way and have the same skills and et cetera. But that there's also ability to learn and grow outside of the traditional stuff
0: yes yes to all of that and you're absolutely right that is something i say a lot you know the way schools are now it's a model that was built in a world that we just don't live in anymore and Mm -hmm. you know the more that we can share this message and our dreams the the more likely they are going to come true so thank you so much for sharing that and welcome so if our listeners want to know more about you julie and the work that you do in this world what's the easiest way that they can get in touch with you
1: Well, you can find me on my website and that is goconfidentlycoaching.com. And I am Julie DeLuca Collins on all of the social media platforms. So feel free to connect with me in any of them and let me know that you found me through Jen. I'd love to get to know you better and uh, talk about all things.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. And all of those links are going to be in the show notes as well. So Julie, thank you so much for spending your time with me this afternoon. It's always really great to talk with you.
1: It's always so fun to chat with you, Jen. Continue doing what you're doing. And don't forget, go confidently in the direction of your dreams.
0: Thank you. Same to you and same to all of our (laughs) our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us in our conversation today. Don't forget to like this episode and subscribe to Take Notes. And we'll see you next time on the Take Notes podcast. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.